Hey, Missio! Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1-11. through 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we cannot comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happens that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Hey, Missio, uh, Johnny Morrison, I am one of your pastors. It is good to be with you. I guess it's good to see stare into the void that is this iPhone camera and imagine you at home. I got weird. Uh, <laughs> one thing to note, we forgot to mention earlier, is that at the end of the service, right before the benediction, we're going to do a set of community slides, uh, pictures from Easter. So make sure you stay the whole time to see different images of people having feasts, celebrating Easter, doing all the things that we did during Easter. Now, today we're starting a new series in the book of 2 Corinthians that will run through summer and hopefully the remainder of kind of like our adjustment to COVID-19 and the season that we are in. Now, the reason that we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, well, it's myriad. There's a bunch of reasons, but we know that Paul wrote four letters to this church in Corinth, this church in ancient Greece, and we have two of the letters. And the reason that Paul writes is that he is speaking to the culture of the church. What kind of community are they? What kind of faith do they live? How do they practice? How do they embody this experience with Jesus in this new world as they're trying to figure out what it looks like to be the people of God in a world where they're not used to doing them? And in the first letter that Paul writes to these people, he kind of has this tone of like an exasperated teacher. He's frustrated. The relationship with them is fraught. They're questioning his authority as an apostle. He's questioning some of their commitment to him and to the way of Jesus. And there's this like exasperation, this frustration that marks that letter. But in our second letter to the church at Corinth, something has changed. Some experience has changed either Paul or the people, and it begins to change the tone with which he writes. And Paul gives us a clue as to what happened and what changed his tone. And this begins to reveal why we want to spend the summer here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, Paul tells the church this. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, 
brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, we don't actually know exactly what happened to Paul between the first letter and the second letter. Some guess that maybe there's a riot in Ephesus that we learned about in Acts, and so maybe he's commenting on the riot. Some guess it because he spent some time in prison, that maybe that's the thing that's happening in between these two moments. But we don't actually know. All we know is this moment is causing some kind of deep existential pressure on Paul. That there is a weightiness to his experience, a pain to whatever has happened that causes him to say, we despaired of life itself. In this kind of despair, this experience, it changes how he writes to the church. If at first he is a frustrated teacher, in 2 Corinthians, he is a kind friend. If in the first he is calling the church, exhorting them into something, in the second letter, he writes like one who is in the wilderness to a people he knows will enter it. As someone who has had to wrestle with the depth, strength, fortitude of his own faith, in the midst of struggle and despair and come out the other side. The thing that makes 2 Corinthians kind of a beautiful letter for this moment is that Paul possesses what sometimes you call in therapy witness authority. Meaning that his story carries weight, not because he's making an argument, not because he's trying to like prove the evidence of something, not because he's trying to make some large case about anything, but because he has been somewhere. And in his story, we can find ourselves. In his story, the Corinthians can find themselves, not because it's original or unique, because it's actually not original and unique. It's a story that plays out over and over and over again, a story of need and desperation and hurt and heartbreak and despair and trying to find what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of that. And so he writes as someone with authority because of his experience to a people he knows at some point will enter into the unknown and the uncertain. And he wants this church to know one very specific thing, and this will run throughout the letter. He wants them to see their lives through the cross and the resurrection, to gain a different kind of lens for how they're going to approach each moment of their life and how they're going to approach this season of their life and how they're going to approach like the culture and context that they live in. He wants them to see through the story of Jesus. This is what he goes on to say right after he said, we despaired of life. He says, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope. that He will continue to deliver us. See, Paul has had this experience. We don't know what it is, but it caused him to despair, to feel existential kinds of pressure. And it has formed and shaped his imagination for how he sees his moment, how he sees the world around them, how he sees what it means to be a people of Jesus. And now he wants this church to similarly see their life through the light of the gospel. And that is why we want to root ourselves here for the summer and the remainder of COVID-19. 
all of our lives have been so upturned by this pandemic and by the economic shutdowns and by social isolation. For some of us, this is like the biggest disruption that we've ever experienced. And for some others of us, it is one big disruption in a long list of things that have disrupted your life. And we need a deeper, new, bigger way to see our moment. We need the lens of the story of Jesus to understand what does it look like for us to be the people of Jesus? What does it look like for us to thrive in the wilderness? What does it look like for us to set a table that points us towards the ultimate hope? What does it look like for us to be here? So that's what Paul is dedicated to. And he begins to do that with the church, with a very simple and yet totally profound word of praise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, this is how he begins his address to the people after he's introduced himself. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, if you read all the way down to verse 7, Paul will use the word comfort eight different times. It's like he has no other word in his mind. He just keeps like interjecting it into the text, like comfort over and over. But if we bring our own notions of comfort to what Paul is saying, I think we'll actually miss the thrust of his passage. If you just look up what comfort means, I just did this, a little Google. That's how you Google if you look it up, this is the definition that comes up. A state of physical ease and a freedom from pain or constraint. But that obviously can't be what Paul is talking about because right in the middle of talking about comfort, he says, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. So also our comfort abounds through Christ. So a state of physical ease and freedom from pain doesn't feel to match what Paul understands to be comfort. It must be something more than ease. The Greek word that is used in this moment is parakaleo, and it means to call someone to come near or to come alongside of and call. And New Testament scholar N.T. Wright gives this really beautiful definition of what this word entails. He says, the whole idea of the word is that one person is being with another, speaking words, which give courage, new hope, new direction, new insight, which will alter the way they face the next moment. It meets people where they are and brings them right to the point where they see new hope, new possibilities, a new way forward. For Paul, comfort is not about alleviation or a reprieve from physical suffering or mental suffering. It is about seeing new hope in the midst of trouble. Now, this is tricky, I think, because at least as I was thinking about this story and thinking about what Paul is calling hope and comfort, we have to do a job of differentiating between what Paul is talking about with hope and false hope or false optimism. 
Right? There is a difference between a vision that offers some new possibility in the midst of our troubles and a lie to cover hardship and pain. There is a difference, maybe you could say, between receiving comfort and being comfortable. There's this uh, the article that came out last week. We shared like 140,000 times by just my Facebook friends, so you probably saw it. And it's titled, uh, Prepare for the Ultimate Gaslighting. And I just think that this article captured what's happening in our moment so well between this comfort we can receive or being comfortable. The article says this, that soon billions of dollars will be spent on advertising, messaging, and television, and media content to make us feel comfortable again. It will come in the traditional forms, a billboard here, a hundred commercials there. The need for comfort will be real. It will be strong. And every brand in America will come to our rescue to help take away that darkness and get life back to the way it was before this moment. In every moment, but especially moments of crisis, there are multiple stories of hope, multiple visions of what is possible that are on the table. Stories that offer comfort and stories that call us to be comfortable. And in America, the easiest story to see and diagnose is one of consumerism and economics. And I think, like, I don't know if you're like me in this moment, but this story feels so much more compelling now than maybe ever before to me, personally. 2020 felt like a year of maybe newfound financial freedom for, for my family. Like, if we're just kind of talking about our own experience and where we were, 2020 felt like a year where it's like, oh, like things financially are beginning to make sense. My wife, who's kind of wrestled with vocation, finally found the job that she really loved. We were right about to pay off student debt. We had a small business, and it was like kind of taking a curve, and it felt like, oh, this might actually be the year that it begins to thrive and step into somewhere new. It kind of felt like, oh, we're recovering from 2008. And literally two weeks before the shutdown, we were talking about, like, we were like, oh, we're going to buy a camper trailer. Because that's like, you know, whatever. But we were like really pumped about it. We were like, maybe we're going to buy this camper trailer. And then all of a sudden, COVID-19 for us hit those places specifically. My wife was laid off. Small business isn't operating, and we actually don't know what's going to happen with it. Whatever financial moment, momentum that we had was halted. And everyone that I've talked to, especially that's like kind of in my age range, feels like they're having similar kinds of financial experiences where it felt like something was moving and all of a sudden it was halted. And I say all that because I think that's when the, the story of consumerism speaks really powerfully to me. Because it offers a return to normalcy. It offers a return to being comfortable. And so I can start to put my hope in, well, if we can just get our jobs back, or we can just like return to this normalness, all those comfortable pieces will start to play together again. We'll return to being comfortable. The problem with that story, though, and that message of hope, is that it isn't true. Economics, as we all know from our very short careers, if you're a millennial, is that economics are a terrible place to put your hope. It's the 2008 recession, and now we're here again. It is always shifting, and it has gone in a blink. But even more importantly, what COVID-19 has revealed 
like so many disrupting events, is what is underneath that story of hope. And what we see in the midst of COVID-19 is that consumerism does not deal with problems. It simply hides them. Just think about this moment that we're in. America is the richest nation on earth, and we are struggling to properly provide for our citizens. In the richest nation ever, 22 million people filed for unemployment in just weeks. And in our own homes, and our own lives, anxiety still feels true regardless of the niceties that we consume around us. This moment reveals the hollow mess of these hopes. Crisis always reveals the emptiness of idols. And here we are again. But consumerism is that. It is a comfortable story. It is a story that calls us into being comfortable, to hiding, to ignoring, to covering over the deeper problems and finding ourselves comfortable. But the comfort that Jesus' story offers is is literally fundamentally different, antithetical to the comfortable story. Where the comfortable story tries to hide the hard and cover our scars, the comforting story of Jesus literally starts by showing his scars and beginning with the cross and inviting us into suffering. So what Paul says in this passage, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Like in the story of consumerism and being comfortable, that statement literally doesn't make any sense. How can you be called into suffering to experience comfort? What kind of comfort is that at all? Well, again, N.T. Wright says this really beautifully. He says, the comfort that comes from this moment is that the Messiah died. So his people die in him. Sharing his sufferings, The Messiah rose again, so his people rise again in him, knowing the power of the resurrection to comfort and heal. The comfort that Jesus' story offers is that God brings life through the sacrificial love of the cross. And that as that is true of Jesus, it is true of us, and it even gets to be true of our world, even this moment. That is the kind of hope, the vision of what's possible that Paul is calling the 2 Corinthian church into. To see their lives through the lens of the cross and resurrection, to have an imagination that is baptized in Jesus' work, not in security or comfort or consumerism or the comfortable stories that our culture always offers us, but to have a lens and vision that says, oh, we die with Christ, we rise with Christ, we're called to participate in the thing that he is doing. The story of comfort versus being comfortable. And it is this story that empowers us not only to experience comfort, but to offer it to the world around us. This is what Paul says in this moment, that we have been comforted so that we can comfort. We have been called into a new hope so that we can call into a new hope. I think sometimes there's an indictment against Christians is that when we're trying to offer comfort, what we do is we offer empty platitudes or spiritual cliches. You have probably experienced this. You're in the midst of suffering or a difficult moment, and someone just like sends you a text like, hey, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you're like, oh, thanks. Thank you. And it feels empty or weak. 
But the kind of comfort that the church is called to extend the world is one that is enduring the wilderness, that like Paul has a witness authority to it because we have been in those same places. We're not some spiritual elite who call from somewhere else. We come alongside us. The kind of comfort of the church is an empathetic hope. Like we talked about last week with the resurrection, it shows scars that point to resurrection. There's this beautiful quote from an author named Jamie Smith who's actually talking about friendship in the church, but he says this, which I think perfectly sums what the church is called to be. He says the church is a people who are called to come and sit with the world, to be present with it in its tragedy. You might not have imagined it, but sometimes the good life looks like casseroles and the quiet sadness of a mournful home. A table prepared in the wilderness by a people who are hoping for a feast to come. Sometimes, Mr., the role of the church in offering comfort is to be a people who grieve, lay a table that points to another feast like we did on Easter. That's what we're invited to embody. So, Missy, what would it look like if we knew and embodied the comfort of the cross and the resurrection? What would it look like if we saw our life and our moment through the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, through the cross and the resurrection, and we reinterpreted these moments, not through the American story or media story or political stories, but through Jesus' story? I think one thing is we would find a new reserve of hope. A comfort that is unmoving and unshakable. That's hard because I think it'll come right as the comfortable is being removed. I think that if we found ourselves embodying this kind of comfort, we would begin to see new possibilities emerging in this moment. In our homes and in our neighborhoods. Which is one of the beautiful things actually about this space anyways, is that those are the stories that we're telling, is what is being made possible as the comfortable is being removed from us and we're trying to connect ourselves to the comfort of Jesus, that there's new things emerging in our home. And I think that we would offer comfort to the world that so desperately needs it, not spiritual platitudes or empty cliches, but comfort that comes alongside of and endures with. So, Missio, as you leave kind of worship, you try to like enter into your normal rhythms or the rhythms that you're establishing. What does it look like for you to know and embody the comfort that Paul talks about? What is possible right here and right now in the midst of your moment? Normally, we would start to practice this by gathering at the table together in this moment. And we can't do that, but you still can lay a table in your own home. And as you lay that table with your friends, or hopefully not your friends, actually, CDC. <laughs> as you lay a table with your family or your housemates or whoever you live with, would you use that moment to point towards the resurrection? Would you use that moment to tell stories of this moment? Stories of grief and stories of like Paul's that have a witness authority that you've experienced despair and are trying to reimagine life in light of the cross. 
Would you practice the comfort that Paul talks about as you gather around your table so that you can offer it to those with you and you can offer it to the world? may not look like this table, but as we gather in the name of Jesus, he promised to be present to us, to offer his comfort, and to make us a people of comfort. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your story that it gives us an imagination and a lens and a hope to see our moment as weird and as strange as it is. You actually give us like a way of embodying and living in this space, not that is abstract or spiritually cliched, but that comes alongside of us because it knows and is in it. So God, help us to use this moment as an opportunity to trust you, to see something new in the midst of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Miss Yeah.